Hey guys, welcome to the Bitcoin Fortress podcast, helping you increase your financial freedom. This is episode 58, uh, recorded here on April 2nd, 2023. This podcast is for entertainment only and is not investing advice. So as always, please do your own homework. Well, we got a lot of news to get through this week, so uh, sit back, relax, and um, we'll get into the market update outlook, and then we've got several Bitcoin news items, and then I'll finish off with uh, just mentioning my latest um, blog post called the Bitcoin Rabbit Hole, and then we'll finish up. So jumping right into the market news uh, for last week, stocks closed out March with all three major market indexes higher than they were at the end of February as the turmoil caused by the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank was contained, at least for now. The banking turbulence may well weigh on lending conditions in the months ahead, creating a new headwind for the U.S. economy, but the prospect of further Federal Reserve rate increases appears to have diminished. Friday's Commerce Department data that showed the Fed's favored inflation gauge coming in slightly lower than expected in February reinforced these hopes. For the month, the Dow Jones average added 1.9%, the S&P gained uh, 3.5%, and the NASDAQ composite climbed 6.7% for the week. The Dow Jones jumped 3.2%. The NASDAQ rose 3.4%, and the S&P popped 3.5%. Looking ahead, the week begins with a focus on the energy sector as the OPEC Joint Ministerial Monitoring Committee meets to discuss oil production. The committee pledged to cut overall output by 2 million barrels per day at its last meeting in February and is largely expected to hold that line. All right, so jumping into the Bitcoin news here, um, the first thing I wanted to go over I thought was kind of interesting, and there's been a lot of talk about this, the new Restrict Act that uh, Congress is uh, discussing um, to, you know, ban TikTok. And initially, I think there was a lot of bipartisan support, but now there's people aren't so sure. And, you know, it's, it's funny because I was watching... Uh, Fox News and, you know, uh, they're basically calling people out as commies, you know, for for questioning whether or not this act should be imposed. You know, why, like, why wouldn't you want to ban China? Um, you know, they're spying on our kids. So, uh, and I'll just say this, I don't, I'm not, I don't use TikTok. I'm not a fan of it. I don't, I don't like it, but, you know, freedom of speech sometimes involves things that you, you know, don't like. And uh, certainly there's no freedom to spy, but it it gets very touchy. And so I thought I came across this uh, article here from coincenter.org, which is an industry um, uh, organization, and they've been tracking this act. And so I thought I'd go through this blog post of theirs, and I'll include, again, as always, links uh, if you want to read it for yourself. But I thought it was interesting, uh, their take on it. 
and you know, of course, if this uh, is in, indeed um, violates the First Amendment, let's say, uh, you know, the courts will have something to say about it um, eventually if it if it does get passed into law. But I thought it's good to understand this and understand what what their uh, what the potential unintended consequences are of uh, something like this despite the sound bites that are out there. So uh, th this post is entitled, The Restrict Act Creates Blanket Authority with Few Checks to Ban Just About Anything Linked to a Foreign Adversary. And the subheading, An Overbroad Attempt to Ban Crypto Using These New Powers Would Be Open to Court Challenge, But the Law Has Worryingly Narrow Avenues for Review. The Restrict Act introduced by Senators Warner and Thune aims to block or disrupt transactions and financial holdings involving foreign adversaries that pose risk to national security. Although the primary targets of this legislation are companies like TikTok, the language of the bill could potentially be used to block or disrupt cryptocurrency transactions and in extreme cases block Americans' access to open source tools or protocols like Bitcoin, which is of course why we get concerned about this. This bill has several problems, some of which stem from its similarities with the OFAC regime, others that stem from its differences. The act creates a redundant regime paralleling OFAC without clear justification. It significantly limits the ability for injured parties to challenge actions raising due process concerns. And unlike OFAC, it lacks any carve-out for protected speech. Uh, the Restrict Act is conceptually similar to the International Emergency Economic Powers Act, IEEPA, the law that empowers OFAC <clears throat> to block Americans from transacting with sanctioned foreign persons. Indeed, the Restrict Act would essentially create a parallel sanctions regime administered by the Secretary of Commerce alongside OFAC's regime, which is administered by the Treasury Secretary. As we've said many times before, Coin Center does not object to the use of OFAC's powers under IEEPA to block transactions with actual foreign adversaries, such as transactions to an Iranian individual holding private keys to a Bitcoin address or to a custodial mixing service that launders North Korean ransomware payments. However, we are very concerned that an overbroad interpretation of those powers could be exploited in order to ban Americans from using entire classes of technologies even when no foreign adversary has an actual proprietary interest in the technology as a whole. This concern is exemplified by OFAC adding the Tornado Cash immutable smart contracts to the SDN list. The Restrict Act directs the Secretary of Commerce to ban transactions in which a foreign adversary has an interest, much as IEEPA directs OFAC. We would not object to that power being used narrowly with regard to any particular Bitcoin transaction involving a specific recipient. We would, however, object to an overbroad interpretation of interest, wherein the Secretary attempted to argue that the entire class of all Bitcoin transactions, for example, is a class of transactions in which U.S. foreign adversaries have an interest. If such an unreasonable and overbroad interpretation of the Restrict Act was made, We'd be fighting it in court, just like we're now fighting the tornado cash designation by OFAC. All things considered, we'd rather not have these broad and, and abuse-prone powers being wielded somewhat redundantly by either the Commerce Secretary or OFAC, and it's not clear why this additional legislation is needed when IEEPA already provides the administration with very broad authority to block transactions with foreigners that threaten our interests. 
While the two acts are very similar in the broad powers they give the executive, there are some differences between IEEPA and the Restrict Act that could make fighting over broad interpretations more difficult if the act was to become law. The Restrict Act does not have a statutory carve-out for transactions dealing primarily in information and protected speech activities like the Berman Amendments in IEEPA. It employs the Secretary of Commerce to make prohibitions without the need for the president to first declare a national emergency, as with the cyber executive order that preceded the tornado cash sanctions. It limits judicial review to the D.C. Circuit, which raises real questions about fairness and access to justice for aggrieved Americans. It exempts agency action pursuant to the act from review under the most relevant sections of the Administrative Procedure Act. Although, while the substance of the law is little different from IEPA, the process for challenging abuses of power is worryingly circumscribed. If the Restrict Act was passed into law and misinterpreted to ban an entire open source cryptocurrency protocol, Americans would have trouble bringing a challenge. One, the challenge would need to be in the DC court, even if many of the aggrieved parties are elsewhere. It would need to make constitutional rather than statutory arguments about protected speech activities. The challenge may not be able to make the administrative procedure arguments that we are making in our tornado cash case. A broad and discretionary power to ban and disrupt all manner of information technologies should not be wielded without appropriate oversight and opportunity for review. The Restrict Act not only fails to ensure these rule of law protections, in many cases it attempts to subvert them. IEEPA's Berman Amendments are a statutory carve-out from IEEPA that mirrors the First Amendment. Courts have found that the Berman Amendments in effect save the statute from potential unconstitutional applications. When plaintiffs challenge a sanctions designation that impacts speech, they can argue that OFAC exceeded its statutory power by contravening the Berman Amendments rather than making the somewhat more difficult but also more consequential argument that IEPA, the statute itself, contravenes the Constitution. In contrast, the Restrict Act has no such statutory limitation. Indeed, it is deliberately targeted at restraining transactions related to information and information technologies. This targeting may mean that the Act is facially unconstitutional, and should it ever become law, we expect it to be challenged as such. Then they conclude here and say, while the primary purpose of the act is to address national security concerns, its potential implications for the cryptocurrency space cannot be ignored. The differences between the Restrict Act and IEPA coupled with the potential constitutional issues warrant close scrutiny and a cautious approach to ensure that the legislation does not result in unintended consequences for the cryptocurrency ecosystem and America's access to innovative technologies. Coin Center will work to educate policymakers about the pitfalls of this bill as currently drafted, and if it becomes law, we'll consider a court challenge if it is ever used to sanction open source crypto technology. So very interesting discussion here, very enlightening, and um, uh, you know, hopefully uh, this doesn't pass in its current form, let's just say. Okay, next article, and although I really don't like um, Peter Schiff's uh, position on Bitcoin, I have to say he's a very smart economist, and a lot of the things that he talks about make a lot of sense. Of course, his solution is gold, and I'm not opposed to gold, but I'm, I think Bitcoin has more you know, potential, although I do own some gold as well. Um, 
But anyway, uh, it's always interesting to hear what he has to say. This uh, is from Bitcoin.com. This was posted, it looks like, three days ago. Economist Peter Schiff warns of U.S. dollar devaluation and, quote, biggest economic disaster in history. Economist and gold bug Peter Schiff shared his warnings about the U.S. economy, the banking crisis, and where inflation is headed on, the, on NTD News Monday, commenting on Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell claiming that the U.S. banking system is sound and resilient. Schiff exclaimed, it's not sound at all. It's a house of cards that's starting to collapse. Schiff explained, thanks to the mistakes of the, that the Fed has made since the 2008 crisis, we have a much bigger bubble now. The Fed caused the bubble that led to the financial crisis of 2008. And then they inflated a bigger bubble to try to paper over those mistakes and kick the can down the road so that we wouldn't have to deal with the full consequences of resolving all those mistakes. The economist opined, of course, we just compounded the problem with bigger mistakes and now the U.S. economy is poised on the biggest economic disaster in its history. Schiff sees the recent collapses of major banks, including Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank, as the start of the next financial crisis. That's exactly what's happening now. It's a banking crisis and banks are financials. I think people are reluctant to call it a financial crisis because they don't want to evoke the memories of 2008 and they don't want to make any comparisons. They don't want to acknowledge that, he opined, cautioning they are dismissing all the early signs of a major financial crisis, but make no mistake, we're on the cusp of one and it's going to be much bigger than the last. According to The Economist, banks are ill-equipped to handle a combination of a significant economic downturn and a surge in inflation. So if we have high inflation and a recession at the same time, banks are going to fail, he said. As inflation diminishes the value of the U.S. dollar, people will seek to withdraw their money from banks as they won't be able to offer an interest rate that can offset the loss. Schiff described, warning, of course, when people want to get their money out of the bank, the money isn't there. So the people, so the only way people can get their money is if the Fed prints it. But if the Fed prints it, it just destroys even more of the value. So it accelerates the momentum for a spiraling inflation. The dollar is being debased in order to fund the bank bailouts. Uh, and by the way, I totally agree with what he's saying here. Noting that the Federal Reserve increased its balance sheet by nearly $400 billion within a span of two weeks, should caution, that's inflation. And so when you do that, you destroy the value of all the money that's already in circulation. So Americans are going to pay, not because they are taxpayers, but because they are U.S. dollar owners and U.S. dollar earners. Everybody's paycheck is going to be reduced in value because the bank bailouts, the gold bug pointed out. These bailouts are endangering everybody's bank deposits, even the banks that are solvent. Now it's inflation that is the risk, and so it doesn't matter if your bank fails, you're still going to lose. In the event that your bank failed, you lose your money, but now because the government won't let the banks fail, everybody who has a bank account is going to lose purchasing power, Schiff concluded. And again, totally agree. Um, and while the um, we haven't had any bank failures in the last, last week, um, uh, I've definitely seen some charts and other information that... Uh, people are moving their money out of banks, uh, probably into treasuries or money market funds where they can better, get a better yield. So maybe the initial move was, you know, uh, worried about solvency. Now it's, you know, more of a sustained move to just seek better returns. Um, and most people I talk to are doing the same thing. You know, why, why, 
earned 0.01% in uh, Wells Fargo or, or maybe it's 0.02 in uh, Chase when you can, um, you know, get a three-month treasury bill, it's four, four point something percent, so. Okay, next article here we have is from the bitcoinist.com. This was uh, posted a day ago and it is entitled uh, Bitcoin Country El Salvador's New Bill Offers Tax Breaks for Tech Innovations. I think it's kind of interesting to follow what's going on in El Salvador. A lot of people say it's not a great place to live, but and it's you know authoritarian country and um, yeah, and they have crime and so on and so forth. But uh, they're definitely um, leading the way in terms of adopting Bitcoin as a legal tender and also um, trying to create an attractive environment to um, for not only tourism but also um, for businesses to locate there. So. Um, uh, We'll jump right into this. So the popular crypto-friendly country, El Salvador, has taken a huge step to improve economic growth via technology. It recently reviewed its tax system, exempting technology innovations to boost developments. Recall that El Salvador was the first country that made Bitcoin legal tender and pushing for more adoption. This latest move is expected to attract more developers into the country, given it has become a tax haven for them. President Nayib Bukele sent the bill to Congress on April 1st. The El Salvador tax exemption covers developers in coding apps and AI development, software programming, communications, hardware, manufacturing, and computing. It eliminates all import tariffs, income capital gains, and property taxes from these sectors. Further, Bukele outlined reasons for the tax exemption as the acceleration of manufacturing and innovation such as semiconductors and microelectronic components. Also, the law aims to make El Salvador the leader in advanced technology manufacturing in Latin America. Further, the president aims to encourage, diversify, and expand Salvadorian human talent toward technology manufacturing. He also wants to boost education and training in advanced technological manufacturing. The president also established a national Bitcoin office to support this recent move, the regulatory body will work hand in hand with Bitcoin companies and entrepreneurs in the country. In a Twitter post, ONBTC announced that it would help position El Salvador as a technology and economic power worldwide. Notably, President Bukele had promised to pursue this decision on March 24th. He made the announcement on Twitter, leading to positive responses as many users saw it as a step towards pushing the country's tech industry. Bukele had been a moving force driving El Salvador's economic development. The president took the world by surprise when it legalized Bitcoin as a means of payment in the country. The move on September 17, 2021 attracted much criticism. Still on November, on November 2021, the country inaugurated a Bitcoin city backed by a billion dollar Bitcoin bonds to be home for everything around Bitcoin. Bukele has continued to push adoption to date and has even established the Bitcoin Association of El Salvador to pursue the initiative further. Notably, after legalizing Bitcoin, El Salvador tourism skyrocketed by 30%. The Minister for Tourism, Morena Valdez, revealed the growth during an interview with a local news agency. She stated that before making Bitcoin a legal tender, El Salvador only saw tourists from neighboring countries. But after legalizing Bitcoin, 60% of the country's tourists are now from the U.S., boosting their income in foreign currency to 1.4 million. 
beyond the projected 800,000. Also, El Salvador saw a boost in its exports as it grew by 13% in January 2022, beyond the 10.3% recorded in January 2021. Um, moving on to U.S. government news, <clears throat> um, I thought this was an interesting piece, and a lot of folks talked about this also when it came out. This is from Cointelegraph on March 31st. U.S. government plans to sell 41,000 Bitcoin connected to Silk Road. And a lot of the commentary was, well, why, you know, why wouldn't you just keep it, <laughs> you know, and just in case. Uh, but that's not how the U.S. government rolls. When they seize um, assets, they sell them off, whether it's cash, gold, cars, homes, and uh, as it turns out, Bitcoin. Moving into the article here, the United States government plans to liquidate more than 41,000 Bitcoin seized as part of a case connected to Silk Road creator Ross Ulbricht. A March 31st filing with the U.S. District Court for the Southern District of New York uh, regarding the sentencing of James Zhang stated U.S. government authorities had begun liquidating roughly 51,352 Bitcoin seized in the Ulbricht case. According to the filing, officials sold roughly 9,861 Bitcoin for more than $215 million on March 14th, leaving roughly 41,491 Bitcoin. And one of the funny commentaries on that was that they actually used Coinbase to sell the Bitcoin and Coinbase charged them like $200,000 in fees. Um, but at the same time, they issued a Wells notice to uh, Coinbase for, you know, not following proper regulatory um processes. So, you know, it's just kind of interesting. Uh, moving on here, it says the government understands the seized Bitcoin is expected to be liquidated in four more batches over the course of this calendar year, said the court filing. The government understands from IRS criminal investigation, asset recovery, and investigative services that the second round of liquidation will not be sold prior to Zhang's sentencing date. In November, Zhang pled guilty to wire fraud charges related to executing a scheme to steal Bitcoin from Silk Road in 2012. U.S. authorities seized more than 50,000 Bitcoin, worth more than $3 billion at the time, from his Georgia home in November 2021. It was one of the largest crypto seizures by the government until the February 2022 recovery of roughly $3.6 billion connected to the 2016 Bitfinex hack. The Silk Road Marketplace, which has been defunct for 10 years, originally allowed users to buy and sell illicit goods, including weapons and stolen credit card information. However, the marketplace also drew the attention of U.S. authorities who arrested Ulbricht in 2013. He is currently serving two life sentences without the possibility of parole. The price of Bitcoin has had a volatile month, dipping below 20000 on March 10th and moving above 29000 on March 29th at the time of publication. Bitcoin's price was 28378 uh, There's also some concern, like, what's this going to do to the Bitcoin price? And, you know, um, as long as there's buyers out in the market, which there seem to be, and, uh, you know, there's a lot of people that dollar cost average, uh, it's probably not going to really matter. And if the U.S. government was smart, they'd hang on to it, but uh, they're going to do what they're going to do. Uh Next up here is um, from Coindesk. This, I thought this was also quite interesting. Uh, and this was uh, 
This uh, was posted on March 27th. MicroStrategy pays off Silvergate loan, buys more Bitcoin. Uh, so there's the U.S. government selling and MicroStrategy is continuing to buy. MicroStrategy, a software company that was co-founded by crypto advocate Michael Saylor and that holds a large amount of Bitcoin, prepaid the remaining principal on its $205 million loan from failed crypto-focused Silvergate Bank, according to a filing with the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission on Friday. In addition, MicroStrategy said it purchased another 6,455 Bitcoins for roughly $150 million, or about $23,238 per coin over the past five weeks. The loan payoff was made last Friday and totaled $161 million. As part of the satisfaction of the loan, 34,619 Bitcoins held as collateral were returned to MicroStrategy's custody. The company took out the loan last March. The acquisition of another 6,455 Bitcoins brings MicroStrategy's holdings up to 138,955 Bitcoins purchased at an average price of $29,817 each and worth roughly $3.88 billion at the current Bitcoin price of $27,900. MicroStrategy also disclosed that it has raised $339.4 million this year through the sale of its shares and used the proceeds to pay back the loan from Silvergate. Uh, shares of MicroStrategy were up 0.9% pre-market. So uh, took advantage of the situation with Silvergate uh, collapsing um, and got a nice discount um, on um, paying that loan back. They also got their coins released uh, from uh, uh, the security uh, that they were being held in for that loan, which is great. And they bought more Bitcoin. So, um, you know, time will tell, but I think, um, uh, you know, MicroStrategy is uh, going to be just fine. There were a lot of people that were saying that uh, he was going to have to sell his Bitcoin. Um, certainly, when the when you know it was down around sixteen, seventeen thousand, like oh, if it drops to ten, you know, he's he's going to be be selling, and uh, that just didn't happen. Um, not to say that it couldn't happen because Bitcoin's pretty volatile, but uh, it seems like. Um, MicroStrategies continue to execute consistently uh, on their strategy of continuing to buy and accumulate more and more Bitcoin. So good for them, and we'll continue to watch that with great interest. Uh, next up here, Bitcoin.com. This was posted five days ago. Uh, and uh, again, Bitcoin millionaire Tim Draper advises startups to keep Bitcoin as a hedge against a, quote, domino run on the banks. Tim Draper, a well-known venture capitalist and crypto enthusiast, has recommended Bitcoin as part of his cash diversification advice for business founders. Draper, known for winning an auction of 30,000 Bitcoins from the U.S. Marshals back in 2014, and for his Bitcoin price predictions, posted a document on Twitter that comments on several considerations businesses should make in the face of bank failures. The document, which presents seven different ways to avoid a cash crunch, states, since boards and management are responsible for making payroll, even in times of crisis, it's important to build out contingency plans for bank failures that could happen more and more often if government continues to print money and whipsaw interest rates to counteract inflation caused by the overprinting of money. 
Draper comments that the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank showed the importance of having a sound contingency strategy in uncertain times. Per different reports, many tech startups that were dependent on Silicon Valley Bank faced a period of uncertainty when the bank collapsed, not having the necessary liquidity to complete payroll payments. However, the U.S. Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation averted the situation and made customer deposits whole under a systemic risk exception approved by the Federal Reserve. One of the key points in Draper's cash management plan, which was designed with the help of Wharton School uh, individuals, is the diversification of banking risk. Draper states that businesses can no longer rely on just one institution to manage their cash, advising to keep at least six months of short-term cash in two banks, one local and one global bank. Also, Draper advises keeping at least two payrolls worth of cash in Bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies, maintaining excess money and assets saleable for emergencies. He supports taking these measures by stating, for the first time in many years, governments are taking over banks and governments themselves are at risk of becoming insolvent. Bitcoin is a hedge against the domino run on the banks and on poor over-controlling governance. Um, can't, can't disagree with the man. And then uh, we'll finish up here with uh, a um, Bitcoin Magazine article. Uh, this was posted on March 31st. And uh, it's an opinion piece, but I thought it was uh, worth sharing. And it's entitled, In God We Trust, All Others Pay Bitcoin. And it says, this is an opinion editorial by Phil Snyder, an educator teaching blockchain technology, Bitcoin, and all things media at the University of Houston. Who hasn't gotten at least a little chuckle upon first reading a sign behind a checkout counter emblazoned with that timeless wit and wisdom, in God we trust, all others pay cash? Perhaps soon around the world, wherever merchants accept Bitcoin, we will begin to see, in God we trust, all others pay Bitcoin. You should appreciate the irony that the fiat dollar we have lost trust in still declares its own religious faith in print on every little piece of the Federal Reserve's funny paper and metal slug tokens. We are also expected to believe that this hoax currency is backed by the full faith and credit of the United States government, as stated on the FDIC's and NCUA's official teller signs, along with their pledge to insure deposits up to $250,000. Unsurprisingly, a derivative of this declaration can be spotted here and there, online, as in, in Bitcoin we trust memes. Also, ironically, then, we trust in the trustless protocol of Bitcoin. The phrase, in God we trust, has a long history of use in America, with its official origins found in the Civil War to boost morale and proclaim the Union's reliance upon the God of the Bible, a claim that the South also shared. It finally became the official motto of the United States in 1955 when a joint resolution was passed by the 84th Congress and signed by President Eisenhower. For Christians, faith and trust are closely related to each other and nearly synonymous in some contexts. We trust God to save us from our spiritually dead state through the faith in Christ's sacrifice, which he imparts to our inner being by his grace. Bitcoiners long for a future of world peace, prosperity, and brotherhood. The sooner the better. But with or without Bitcoin, that is not going to happen before what Christians call the Millennial Kingdom, which is Christ's return to rule and reign over the universe he created right here on earth. And as current signs of the time seem to indicate, we probably don't have much longer to wait. 
I see Bitcoin as one of those signs of the times. Even an earthly kingdom ruled by God is very likely to require some sort of monetary system, and in my opinion, Bitcoin fills that job perfectly. Probably the closest example we have of what this kingdom will look like is in the biblical narrative of King David. The Bible describes Jesus as both the literal and figurative son of David, meaning that he is the ultimate heir of the Davidic dynasty. All of the ancient world became subject to David's rulership as the majestic and victorious yet humble king of Israel. This is a foreshadowing of Christ's millennial reign. Solomon, as direct heir to the throne of David, is said to have made silver and gold as common as stones in Jerusalem. This points to a complete transformation of the economic system of the time and prophecies the future as Bitcoin renders all other forms of money obsolete. Further, we can point to the history of the early church when there were no needy persons among them for from time to time who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to anyone who had need. I believe that many early adopters of Bitcoin whose fortunes will exceed even those of the Rothschilds and the Rockefellers will be moved by the Holy Spirit to donate huge sums in Bitcoin to those in need around the globe, thus realizing another biblical description. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. This is not like modern liberation theology or some religious form of communism, but a righteous equity that no modern woke socialism could ever begin to match because it's ordained by God himself. Bitcoiners must learn patience, which comes with developing a low time preference that engenders and complements virtues of thrift, solid work ethic, integrity, faithfulness, and love of God and our neighbors. The Bible has plenty to say about these too. A poem about time preference, presumably written by King Solomon, goes like this. There's a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather them a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to search and a time to give up, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. We could fittingly add a time to hodl and a time to give away. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Wow. Um, it's funny because I just wrote a piece on uh, the Bitcoin rabbit hole and, and um, I think I came up with uh, 17 different rabbit holes um, <laughs> that you can go down. And uh, I think there's probably an 18th one and that's, you know, spirituality, which is really an interesting uh, piece of you know, when you get involved in Bitcoin, you begin to think a lot about truth and, um, you know, your own purpose in life. And somehow that brings you back into spirituality, you know, and regardless of what religion, um, I think, you know, uh, you know most religions uh, tend to have the same core beliefs. And um, this guy obviously is a Christian, but um, anyway, it's just, it's quite interesting. And, um, uh, it's it's good to align yourself with truth and good, and, and I do hope that, uh, you know, 
if people become generationally wealthy in Bitcoin, that they donate and and help the others that uh, that aren't as fortunate. Um, it certainly um, fills you with uh, hope for what the future might hold, um, uh, rather than you know just feeling nihilistic about everything that's going on. So. Anyway, interesting piece. Uh, again, links will be in the show notes if you want to read this stuff for yourself. I did want to mention uh, my, uh, as I was talking about earlier, um, my um, uh, uh, blog post for the week is called The uh, Bitcoin Rabbit Holes, and there are many. So I'll put a link in the show notes. Won't go over it in detail here, but uh, it's just, it's quite fascinating um, all the different areas of. Uh, investigation i guess that uh, come up as you begin to understand bitcoin a bit better and um, dive into it a bit more so check that out and um with that uh, i will wrap it up for this week so thanks for listening to the podcast if you enjoyed the show please like and leave a comment also don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss an episode um, you can follow my Substack at bitcoinfortress.substack.com. And you can follow me on Twitter. My handle is at Nick Reichert. And uh, hopefully you're listening to this podcast on Fountain, uh, where you can earn stats just for listening, which I've been actually switched all my podcasts that I listen to over to Fountain and have been stacking stats there. And also using some of those stats to boost uh, some of my favorite podcasts. Uh, which you can also do. All right. I'll talk to you all next week. Bye-bye.